Welcome to Everything But Sports, the podcast where we talk about everything but sports. I'm Tina Hassania. And I'm Mallory Andrews. So why, why did we want to record on ADHD specifically? Well, it's ADHD Awareness Month, mm-hmm. number one, or at least it is at the time of recording. It will be. We're, we're going to get this up there before the end of the month. Don't worry. We have a few days. I mean, I mean, it's very ADHD of us, and I'm allowed to say that as someone with ADHD. Haha, <laughs> you guys are not allowed to say that, though. Um, to put it off so late, but here we are. Yeah. And uh, Round two. Round two, because in another demonstration of my own ADHD, um, I very stupidly forgot to delete the files off of our little tiny car that only has like two gigs of data. And so we started recording and we talked for like an hour. And then suddenly I looked and I was like, oh my God, the file is, the card is full. And it turns out that we'd only recorded for 18 minutes. So we're going to start from scratch. That was the dress rehearsal with all of our notes. So, and now we're seasoned professionals. We're we're winging it. We're going to wing it. Um, so yeah, it's ADHD awareness month, but also, um, uh, uh, you have ADHD as as it's been mentioned many times on the podcast. Um, and this is a topic, not just that you have ADHD, but it's also just a topic that you are, is near and dear to your heart and that you're interested in and that you've spent a lot of time studying. I have as, as a result of having it and having very few resources available to me to help me. Um, in fact, I wasn't really diagnosed by a doctor. I was sort of doing, I I like had long suspected that I had it, but that there were a lot of like ideas and sort of like stereotypes around ADHD that didn't quite seem to fit, you know, like a lot of role models, quote unquote, with, of people with ADHD, um, that I got from popular culture growing up were people like Bart Simpson Mm -hmm. and... Dennis Menace, like people like that. It's like, oh yeah, they have ADHD. And it's like... Which one of those two have in common? Both boys. Both boys. And both like uh, troublemakers. Yeah. Uh, I actually don't know if Dennis the Menace has ever been typed as having ADHD. I think it's more been like a characterization that's given to him outside of the actual series. Well, I, well, but but I think it's used as an example, like if you're, it, like your kid... If your kid acts like Dennis the Menace. Yes. It's like, oh, he must have right. ADD or ADHD. And I don't act, I did not act like that as, at all as yeah. a child. I was just saying, like, a doctor didn't diagnose you, but a doctor did confirm what you yourself yes. diagnosed. Yes. Yeah. So, so You went I, to a doctor. I went so, to a doctor, yeah. but, but I, I will also say this, is that even when I was uh, bouncing the idea around off of people I knew in my early 20s, um, the kinds of things I heard were, again, all of the stupid myths and misconceptions about ADHD, like, you're too smart to have ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, you finished high school. There's no way that you can have ADHD. You do reasonably well in school. Like, you don't have any problems, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think that that's a huge misconception um, because, um, you know, a lot of really famous, successful people have ADHD. Um, Justin Timberlake has ADHD. Michael Phelps. Um, 
who else? Um, there's so many celebrities that mm-hmm. have it, like tons and tons of them. The guy who created Kinko's has it. Yeah. Um, there's another person who I always forget what it is, but he's like the CEO of one of the major airlines uh, in the States has it. And very few people um, speak up about it. But, uh, you know, again, like these are people who have fucking Grammys and like have won Olympic awards and have made bazillions of dollars. And to say that, that are you can't... Consi- creatively or um, creatively considered like creatively genius yeah. in some way. And it has to do with the way that their brain works. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's actually what we can get to that later about yeah. like superpowers, the, the superpowers, the like pluses, the very few bonuses of having ADHD. Um, so, so like, I just, I just remember, um, feeling really depressed and having uh, a lot of anxiety issues and things like that in my, which, which are both, um, things that can happen when ADHD goes untreated or unmanaged. Yes. So, um, so I grew up my entire, you know, like childhood and adolescence, no one better than I, um, I would often get comments on my report cards that would say, is not living up to potential, is not trying hard enough, like over and over and over again from many different teachers. Mm. That was a constant theme. Um, teachers constantly saying, like, I know you can do better. And I remember we were just talking about a story of your teacher, like knowing that you could do better and pushing you. Yeah. Um, yeah but like, that was because I was coasting. Because I were coasting. Because I knew that I was smart and good in school, yes. so I didn't have to work as hard as other students to yes. do as well as them. Exactly. And, my t- and I had a teacher who was like, "Yeah, you can, you can do. Better. You don't have to. You do recognize as well as them. you that. can do better than them." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I had a lot of um, teachers who would always sort of fall in love with me and be like, "Wow, she's so precocious and smart and creative and talented," and then they would see the actual output that I would give and it was very poor Mm -hmm. and you know I I remember one teacher I had um media tech teacher in like grade 10 or 11 and uh you know I had like a 95 at the beginning of the semester and then I had like a 75 like halfway through and I was like what happened and it never occurred to me that like oh yeah I actually have to do work in order to excel like it never like, like work harder work than not just harder or, but like or, or, but like but actually put in work on a daily consistent basis yeah. because I had just coasted for so long like doing anything like winging it basically I yeah. I had basically winged every single thing that I'd ever done I did very little homework I would get by on tests I wouldn't necessarily do well depending on the subject but for many of them I did reasonably well um, and so. Yeah, because it's the thing when you're uh, very when you're realized that you are bright or told that you are bright from a very young age is that you learn to get by on that confidence. Yeah, exactly. And you don't think that you have to work hard. Now, I'm not like I mean, my grades were okay. Mm. Like I didn't I didn't have a lot of people saying Tina is genius. I was not in the gifted program, and I often wondered why I wasn't in the gifted program because it seemed to me that I was intelligent. It's just that I couldn't actually perform. At the time that I had to, oftentimes, yeah. um, like, like as in, in a daily consistent way, being given homework and being told, okay, now you have to do this. I just couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And unless I was extremely interested in something, I couldn't do it. Yeah. So math, obviously I didn't do very well in that. Uh, there is some connection between having ADHD apparently and not doing very well in math. Um, Science, same thing. It was just, you know, concepts would just sort of go over my head. But when it came to English, when it came to 
drama, when it came to anything arts oriented, I did well without even having to try. I remember um, we had this music class in middle school and like I learned how to play the clarinet and I basically never practiced at all, yet I was so much better than all of my peers and I would just lie on my practice sheets and say that I practiced like half an hour a day and I totally fooled my music teacher because she couldn't tell when we were performing that I hadn't done it like I was as good as as if I practiced now of course the thing is what could I have accomplished if I actually had practiced that's that's the sort of like thing that really haunts me Mm -hmm. is that I'm like I was capable of doing a lot more and it's easy to, you know, like beat yourself up. And, and a lot of people have things like that in their life. Um, it's just that that basically defined my entire life was that I had potential and then it just never really panned out. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, before we get, Sorry, talking I'm talking more, but well, before we get talking, we'll like we'll talk. Obviously, your experience. Yeah, like this sorry, will come up. we but we to... should, uh, but we should. What we should do? Um, uh, it was a good introduction to ease people in. But what yeah. we should do is like really talk about what is ADHD. Like, what's the difference between ADD and ADHD, for example? ADD and ADHD, but like having a having ADHD, like mm-hmm. clinical ADHD, and just recognizing the symptoms of ADHD in yourself, but not actually having it. Because yes. there's, when you, when we read off the symptoms, it really, a lot of them could be very applicable to a lot of people. And I know I myself, the first time I read the symptoms, I was like, oh, I've done all of these things. All of these but things. it's, yeah. as we'll talk about, it's. Yeah. Different. Yeah. So I'm just pulling it up now. Um, cause it is on the Wikipedia, um, checklist, but, um, okay. So DSM 5 criteria for ADHD. So in the uh, United States, uh, there's a thing called the, um, I always forget what it's called, the, oh yes, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, uh, and this is the fifth edition, and so it's used by the American Psychiatric Association um, to help diagnose mental conditions. So this is the criteria for ADHD. Um, so they show a persistent pa- pattern of inattention and or hyperactivity slash impulsivity that interferes with functioning or development. So uh, number one is inattention. Six or more symptoms of inattention for children up to 16 or five or more for adolescents 17 and older and adults. Um, the symptoms have to have been present for at least six months and they are inappropriate for a developmental level. Okay, so often fails to give close attention to details or makes careless mistakes in schoolwork, at work, or with other activities. Often has trouble holding attention on tasks or play activities. Often does not seem to listen when spoken to directly. Often does not follow through on instructions and fails to finish schoolwork, chores, or duties in the workplace, e.g. loses focus, sidetracked. Often has trouble organizing tasks and activities. Often avoids, dislikes, or is reluctant to do tasks that require mental effort over a long period of time, such as schoolwork or homework. Often loses things necessary for tasks and activities, e.g. school materials, pencils, books, tools, wallets, keys, paperwork, eyeglasses, mobile telephones. Oh, yes. I have definitely done, lost my iPhone more than once. You've nearly misplaced it as we were coming down to the recording. Oh, yeah. It's like it's like a uh, daily really, thing yeah. is Callum having to call my phone so I can find it. <laughs> is often easily distracted. Is often forgetful in daily activities. Okay, so that's that's under the umbrella term of inattention. 
For the second one, it's hyperactivity and impulsivity. Six or more symptoms of hyperactivity and impulsivity for children up to age 16 or five or more for adolescents 17 and older and adults. Um, okay, so often fidgets with or taps hands or feet or squirms in seat. Often leaves seat in situations when remaining seated is expected. Often runs about or climbs in situations where it is not appropriate. Adolescents or adults may be limited to feeling restless because most adults are not going to climb stuff, obviously. <laughs> um, often, and we'll get to the problems with the DSM criteria, of course, in a moment. Often unable to play or take part in leisure activities quietly. Is often on the go, acting as if driven by a motor. Often talks excessively. Me. <laughs> me 100%. Often blurts out an answer before a question has been completed. Often has trouble waiting his or her turn. Often interrupts or intrudes on others, e.g. butts into conversations or games. Um, so in addition, these conditions must be uh, met. So several inattentive or hyperactive hyperactive, the impulsive symptoms were present before the age of 12. This used to be the age of six, by the way, but mm -hmm. they changed it. Um, and we'll get into why I think it has to do with accounting for how girls tend to show symptoms later. Yeah. Um, and it's often, and probably also taking too. it, uh, and taking into account what's developmentally exactly you know, appropriate because for a six year old that's going to blurt out answers in class. Exactly. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I thought you were going to also say like between the boys and girls breakdown, girls are usually much are more developmentally ahead yes. than boys. Yeah. Their same age. Um, and it is a neurodevelopmental like issue. Yeah. Like it is a disorder as in, As the uh, ADHD person grows up, their brain is not developing at the same rate mm -hmm. as people their age, right? Yeah. Several symptoms are present in two or more settings, such as home, school, or work with friends or relatives and other activities. So that's to make sure it's not environmental? Yes. And there's clear evidence that the symptoms interfere with or reduce the quality of social, school, or work functioning. Um, the symptoms are not better explained by another mental disorder, such as a mood disorder, anxiety disorder dissociative disorder, or a personality disorder. The symptoms do not happen only during the course of schizophrenia or another psychotic disorder. So, of course, if someone has bipolar, for example, and they are in a hypomanic or manic um, episode, they can, for example, talk excessively, mm -hmm. right? Or do things that seem to, or be or impulsive, impulsive yeah. right? Um, so, in addition to that, there are three different types or three different presentations of ADHD, Um, there is the uh, predominantly hyperactive impulsive type, which is sort of like your classic ADHD. So it's more the hyperactive, the more impulsive kinds of symptoms. Um, there is the predominantly inattentive presentation or PI, as we like to call it. I wish it was as cool as being a private investigator, but anyways. <laughs> um, so it's more symptoms of inattention. Um, and then combined, which is, uh, you know, you might sort of be getting several of both of these two categories. Um, so I've, I've often thought that I had PI, but I'm starting to come over to the realization that I actually have combined, mm -hmm. um, type. So. And, um, like I said before, we listed off the, um, symptoms, I mean, even hearing them again, I'm, a, a lot of the inattention stuff and like the sort of daydreamy stuff, I recognize them myself. Yeah. But I think it's the clarification needs to be made is the fact that I can snap myself out of that daydreaminess if I'm like, oh, I like 
there's a lecture happening or I'm, or I'm like, oh, I'm in a meeting. I yeah. should focus. focus. And I can do that um, on my own. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas when you have ADHD, it's like your brain won't let you. Won't let you. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the, I mean, and it's, I mean, again, like I, I am of the opinion because th- this is also like, you know, they've, they've started to reveal that ADHD is a spectrum disorder. Mm. That doesn't mean that it's, I mean, it's separate from autism, but I mean, it's similar to autism in that it is a spectrum. So it is very possible that, you know, like people are constantly talking about the rates at which people are being diagnosed with ADHD and how troubling that is. But it's just discovering that there's a spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. If there's a spectrum, then it's very possible that there are many, many, many people with ADHD who don't even realize that they have it because it's never really interfered with their quality of life to the point that they need a diagnosis. They need medication. They need many different things, strategies, treatments to help them work. So it's very possible that someone like you, for example, or I'm sure many of our listeners too, identify with this and maybe they're on the very, very, very like far end of the scale that's like super high functioning, Mm -hmm. you know, ADHD. And quite often, like as you grow up, you tend to develop coping mechanisms. And that is very true for people who do have ADHD and let's say are on the mild to severe range. Um, like I, like I did that. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely did that and I had to do that. And the thing is that I think one thing that's very important to mention about ADHD that I think gets, again, it's another misconception is that it has nothing to do with intelligence. Um, you can be extremely bright and have ADHD. Hence the reason why we have people like, you know, all the ridiculous number, like the countless number of geniuses or whomever who are able to function and succeed. Like wasn't Albert Einstein? That's like that. He's considered, I mean, obviously it's, it, you know, we can get into the possible unethical problems. Diagnosing reverse. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. uh, What's that? Um, Retroactively diagnosing. Yeah. Retroactively uh, diagnosing is probably not the best thing to do, but I think that it's, true that, um, you know, and, and, and people have also said like, oh, maybe he had autism or whatever, because autism is the same thing. It's like, um, there are certain parts of your brain that are obviously heavily affected, but there are other parts of your brain that are able to work really intensely and get very interested in something and really start to specialize in Mm -hmm. something. And ADHD shares that. Yeah. And in fact, um, those two conditions often tend, not often are sometimes comorbid, like sometimes people with Asperger's um, or autism, um, though they do tend to have executive functioning d- uh, problems as well, it's so distinct that it's like, okay, no, you actually also have ADHD too. Yeah. So it's it's very hard to diagnose these things properly. And diagnosis is um, really, really, really like a touchy subject because it boils down to, well, do you need medication? Do you need to go on stimulants? And why do you need stimulants? Yeah. And aren't you just taking basically like pharmaceutical speed and like blah, 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 blah. And there's all this moralizing over something that is... Like, there's there's yeah, a lot of stigma like, around needing so um, stimulant medication. Yes. And I, and I mean, okay, so, so as another which, example. Which is not to say like it, it, it had, it can be and has been abused. It has been abused. Yeah. Yes. And, and I'll give you an example of someone who, for example, uh, is, um, was abusing ADHD and then their psychologist was like, or a therapist or whatever was like, I think you have ADHD, Dan Harmon. 
Like he was taking Adderall to write Community Season 2 or 3 or whatever. And uh, he'd been taking it for ages. And then finally his doctor, when he like confessed that he was doing this, was like, actually, I think he might have it. Because it was because so, it was because it was effective for him in a, yeah. in a particular way that it is effective for those with yeah. ADHD. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, the thing is that there also this is another myth that I'm gonna just like totally smash apart. The the there's this idea that if you had ADHD, taking stimulants would calm you down and mm. it would make you like not hyperactive anymore. And um, if you didn't have ADHD, then taking a stimulant would make you hyper and like super energetic. And like, yeah. you know, there's a joke and, on um, um, what's it called? On Kimmy Schmidt. Schmidt, yes. Kimmy Schmidt um, where uh, Jane Krakowski's character's friend's son is, yeah. they make a joke about he's on Adderall yeah. or something. Yeah. And he, um, they're at the park and the kid comes up to the mom and is like just a zombie, like, mother, may I continue to play? Or something like that. <laughs> yes, that's, that's like not, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. It's, it's, uh, it's such a stupid myth because anyone with ADHD medication is going to act a very particular way. It's just that those with ADHD usually have lower levels of specific neurotransmitters in their brain. And so, Taking Adderall or any other stimulant medication, Ritalin or, you know, Vyvanse, Dextrogen, all that stuff, um, tends to bring them to baseline and maybe a little bit higher, mm -hmm. you know. Um, people who don't really have it might get that jump, right, yeah. beyond baseline. But you still have basically the same kind of reaction. So I think it's BS. This is a total myth. Again, I'm smashing it. Like I'm smashing so many myths in this episode. Um, cause there's so many misunderstandings about this stupid condition. And it like, well, like the drives reason, me crazy. The reason that you were undiagnosed for so long has to do with the myths. Yeah. From, uh, ADHD and exactly. that it tends to the easy, I mean, it's e the, the thought that hyperactivity manifests physically. Yes. Which it is more prone to do in boys yes. than in girls. So a lot of girls tend to go undiagnosed yeah. um, for a very long time or for their entire lives. Or if they have inattentive, if they're, yeah. you know, if they're PI, then they might not really have too much hyperactivity. They yeah. might just be space cadets. They yeah. might be daydreaming all the time. Which but, and is, hyperactivity can be mental as well. Exactly. So like, uh, you can be very talkative. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be very chatty. You can be, you can basically not understand when you should shut the fuck yeah. up and let someone else speak. Or you can be totally quiet and it can seem like everything's fine, but your mind is going a mile a minute, yeah. jumping from subject to subject to subject to yeah. subject. That's yeah. also hyperactivity. But like, how yeah. do you, when you are observing children, how do you recognize How do you that? recognize yeah. that? And uh, again, it's hard. Um, and I don't, and I don't think that the answer is, cause I know some people who might be listening to this are like, so is your answer that we should just put any kid who seems to have ADHD on stimulant medication? And my, my answer to that is maybe, but not necessarily, because I don't think that, um, medication is a panacea for, it's not a cure. Right. No, it's a so, tool for management. Exactly. Yeah. It is one tool in a toolbox that you should have. And maybe medication doesn't work for you. You know, like 80% of people with ADHD respond 
to stimulant medication. Um, that's a very high success rate. That's a better success rate than antidepressants and pretty much virtually any other, um, you know, drug that's given for a mental illness. Mm. Um, and by the way, I don't really necessarily see ADHD as a mental illness. We can get into that later, but, um, anyways, it's still classified as a, you know, psycho psychological brain thing, thing, sure. <laughs> Vague term. Um, so, uh, you know, for me, um, I tried, like, I remember when my doctor was like, okay, it seems like maybe you have it. She said the easiest way to see if you do is to put you on Ritalin and see how you respond. Mm -hmm. So she just, this very generous doctor was like, I trust you, you know, you're not going to abuse this and gave me a, uh, you know, two weeks worth of Ritalin. And I tried it and I immediately saw a difference, but unfortunately the side effects were terrible. Um, and the problem is that, you know, going back to like what happens if you're undiagnosed and you go years or decades before being diagnosed. Um, and also, also I should say like, I was, I was reasonably lucky. I mean, I'm high functioning. I definitely caught this in my late, like mid to late twenties. Um, and I was able to finally figure out a bunch of different things that worked for me. Um, but some people, will not realize that they have ADHD and they have a kid who's very disruptive, who is just constantly making trouble. They can't seem to control them. And they bring them in to the doctor and the doctor says, your kid has ADHD. This is what it is. And in listening to the symptoms, the parent goes, you know, that sounds an awful like, like me. Mm -hmm. I recognize, I see myself in all of that. So, I mean, yeah. And, um, and you were telling me before, and um, in some of the reading that you gave me, this has come up that a lot of the resources that are available for ADHD mm -hmm. are geared towards parents of kids with ADHD and not necessarily adults with ADHD. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that once you get to adulthood, it is kind of harder, but also easier to figure out because... What's also thought of as the kind of thing you grow out of. Yeah, yeah, that too. And that's another myth. Yeah. That you grow out of ADHD. Sometimes that happens. I think that, I don't think that's really what's happening in, in my personal opinion. I think it's that people just come up with coping mechanisms. Yeah. And it's in the cases, natural, in the natural progress of maturing, they yeah. sort of learn how to take personal responsibility. Yeah. Well, like personal do. responsibility is yeah. something that we all learn. So right, right. part of that but is. They, but they might also put themselves in situations that mask or yeah. support their ADHD problems. Yeah. So they might find a profession that is perfectly geared for someone with ADHD. Yeah. Right. Um, or they might have, they might marry someone who is helping them a lot. They might, um, there's a million things that can help them that doesn't require medication or a lot of the other sort of treatments that you might try out. Um, but going back to this hypothetical parent who identifies with ADHD symptoms, um, they might have developed uh, hopefully they didn't, but it's very possible. Lots of adults with ADHD, um, depression, anxiety, substance abuse. They might've gotten speeding tickets or had car accidents. Um, in the worst cases, they might've, uh, become criminals. Um, they might end up in jail. They might, um, have gone bankrupt or lost job after job after job. Like these are some of the really terrible outcomes of not diagnosing ADHD early, they might've flunked out of school. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not, you know, like they, they say that people with ADHD tend to make less money and it's like, no wonder why 
if you don't get it treated and like properly dealt with or managed at the very least, then chances are good that you're, you're not going to live up to your potential. And maybe that potential means making rent. Right. And this is also the difference in seeing, like, if you see some of these symptoms in yourself, but they don't affect your quality of life, consistently affect your quality of life, then you probably don't have ADHD or it's very, very mild. Yes. So like, this is, this is my opinion. And I, and I hate this, you know, you look at France, France says that, claims that ADHD doesn't exist or that they don't have anyone with ADHD in their country. And that's bullshit. In my opinion, um, this condition has been documented for over 200 years. And, uh, since the beginning, it's been documented with some pretty like similar and like reliant information as in like reliable, as in it stayed consistent mm-hmm. over the course of 200 years. Um, yeah. Uh, which isn't to say that, just any psychologist or psychiatrist is going to be an expert in ADHD. Oh, yes. Because yeah. this was something that came up over and over and over again um, uh, when I was uh, reading about it before this episode. Uh, it's it's one of the most well-researched um, uh, uh, yes, condition. conditions. Yeah. But among like research psychologists and not necessarily for clinical psychologists who are actually going to be working with patients. That's right. And it's, that's, you sort of see a lot of this. It's a a, a neurological condition. So therefore it's a lot of brain scientists who are sort of looking at it and not necessarily people who are going to be working one-on-one with patients. Exactly. Which again is, makes it sort of similar to autism because there's lots of research being done on autism right now in Asperger's. Um, and not a lot of clinicians who really know how to see it Mm -hmm. and ADHD is similar. So, um, I was, I was speaking to, um, actually a specialist in Toronto today for a piece that I'm writing on ADHD, um, Dr. Almagor. And he was saying that, you know, like most pediatricians know how to diagnose it, but often a family physician or a pediatrician or whomever will often need the expertise of a psychiatrist or psychologist to confirm the diagnosis. Um, However, the number of people in those professions who actually know how to properly diagnose ADHD are so slim. Um, So it's hard. It's very, very hard, which is why I noticed it in myself and had to go to a doctor and be like, I think I have it. And here we go. And she had no idea. Mm-hmm. And when I, and she still didn't say like, yes, you have ADHD. I am checking this box. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? She was just sort of like, this seems to be what you're describing. Yeah. And, um, when I came to Toronto and switched therapists, it was the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like eventually he and I had done talk therapy for so long that he was like, yeah, you pretty much have ADHD because it's the same issues yeah. over and over and over again that keep coming up in therapy. Yeah. So anyways, um, and like, you know, the, the unfortunate thing is that, uh, people look at formal testing and it's like, you can go into these assessment clinics and pay like thousands of dollars and you have to sit there and do these computer tests and they determine whether you have ADHD or not. And I kind of look at those things. I've, I've read a lot of the, the Reddit threads. There's a subreddit for ADHD and a lot of people are like, these tests are meaningless. It's like like standard, any standardized testing is not going to encompass the sort of wide range. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this is a condition that we, even though I said the, the descriptions have been consistent since over 200 years ago. Um, the actual understanding of the condition mm-hmm. and 
all the ways that it affects the brain and how we can test for it and all these kinds of things is still, there's still lots of emerging data and there's still lots of stuff that we don't really know. Um, there's, for example, I'll just give you one example. I don't want to go into this rabbit hole, but as one example, um, there is a very prominent ADHD researcher by the name of Russell Barkley, who has, uh, I think he, he's like one of the best, um, he's one of the best researchers who talk about the subject because he talks about it with a lot of urgency. And he, he does, he goes into lots of great detail about the really specific ways that, um, ADHD affects, uh, executive functioning and emotional dysregulation. Um, and he uses these terms that I personally find like, yes, this is the best way to look at it. In my opinion, this is exactly how it works for me and how I understand and how I've seen it, you know, in other people or reading about it or whatever. Um, but he believes that the PI type could also possibly have a separate condition called sluggish cognitive tempo, which is one of the worst possible names for a, um, disorder ever mm-hmm. and, um, or SCT for short. And um, it's for people who have ADHD PI, but who don't really seem to have the hyperactivity or the impulsivity. Mm -hmm. So these are people who don't really, you know, they're not going to impulsively like interrupt or spend their money or do other impulsive things. They're not, not hyperactive. They're the space dreamy types of people. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's like they're in their own world all the time. Yeah. And, um, so he has like this other, you know, condition that he's sort of describing and it's like, how do we classify all these different things? Because there's, there's, yeah, there's just, there's different ways of looking at it. Um, and, uh, as another example, there's, there's a doctor named, I forget his first name, Dr. Ammon, and he believes there's like seven types of ADHD and it's based on brain scans that he's done mm-hmm. and he has different names for them and stuff. And his research is kind of shaky, but you know. He hasn't been able to prove a lot of stuff. There's like all these emerging different models of understanding the condition. So I don't, I, again, I just want to stress that like whatever you know to be ADHD as being Bart Simpson or whatever, that's a very outdated idea. And, um, it doesn't have to be something that necessarily is, um, clinical. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I think that in my opinion, it's, uh, it's a way of thinking. It's, it's a, it's a, brain wiring type. And, um, I am someone who I have managed to find a lot of success through cognitive behavioral therapy, through medication, a specific kind of medication that I found, which is called atomoxetine or Stratera is the brand name, which is a non-stimulant. Yeah, it's a non-stimulant. So it's a norepinephrine, uh, reuptake inhibitor. Um, and it has a couple of other cool things that it does, which helps with, um, emotional dysregulation, Um, and then, uh, now I'm into taking care of my diet. So I've stopped eating sugar. Mm. I've cut out gluten and dairy. Um, I am trying to eat like lots of healthy fats, lots of protein, lots of omega threes. Um, I take a ton of supplements a day, um, because there's a lot of like, it seems like there is a connection between ADHD and certain nutritional deficiencies. Mm. So I don't. I, and again, I think that it's wrong to look at this as like, oh, so like if you're low in iron, that's why you have ADHD or if you're low in zinc, like, so all you have to do is just like improve your zinc levels and bam, your ADHD is gone. It's like, no, it doesn't fucking work. It's like your, your entire body is working as a system. So if you, 
So if you if, have ADHD, so you need to balance the entire system. Yeah. So and, if yeah. You, if you have like a deficiency like, in something, then your ADHD symptoms will probably get yeah. worse, right? It's like um, uh, uh, eating the right types of foods at the right times of day. Yeah. Making sure that they're balanced. Like it's proven. Yes. um, Yes. Which, uh, and and mood is, um, and ADHD is affected by mood and vice versa. So it makes sense to, um, uh, balance your diet or try to find some sort of other ways. It's like a holistic approach to ADHD treatment. That's simply medication or behavioral uh, modification. Yeah. And I, well, this is the thing is that I think that what the the medication finally allowed me to quit sugar. Mm. It finally allowed me to meal plan and it finally allowed me to do things that are going to be very good for my ADHD and to help. So it allowed me to put in basic building blocks that helped me not conquer it, but manage it. Yeah. And if it weren't for the medication, it was, I tried to do these things. It was yeah. extremely difficult. I remember to, those days. Yeah. yeah. I remember when I was like, I'm going to give up sugar. <laughs> Everyone laughed at me because yeah, I was addicted, like mm-hmm. so addicted. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so I look at, you know, I'm, I mean, some of the integrative health, People out there are like anti-vaxxers and stuff like that. So it's it doesn't necessarily have the cleanest, unfortunately, um, reputation. But I think that a lot of the principles of integrative health and functional medicine are legitimately useful. Well, it's thinking so, the same. Like, say that you have heart surgery or heart condition, you're taking heart medication. You also have to change your diet. Yeah. Yeah, like and, this, the medi- and this is the, and the thing. medication and like the medical treatment alone is not going to help. No. Like you have to take a full body like lifestyle approach. That's right, but a lot of people don't. Now, yeah, because, because habits are habits die hard, right? right? It's very difficult to change your diet. Very, very difficult. Um, exceptionally difficult. And uh, and the weirdest thing for me is that it's like I was already eating pretty healthy. I don't have. A problem with eating healthy food. Like I grew up eating lots of healthy foods. Yeah. Um, I don't tend to, yeah, like I, I never really had a particularly bad diet. I don't think I had bad habits. One of my biggest bad habits was, um, just like constantly consuming sugar yeah. like throughout the day. But otherwise like your it. diet was fairly like balanced in terms yeah. of like getting vegetables and yeah. proteins and and I and I knew my trigger foods because I have IBS, which also has one of the worst. It's like if I had sluggish cognitive tempo and irritable bowel syndrome, like how embarrassing! Like never be able to talk about these. It's like, it's like thank God for acronyms. So I have IBS, and you know there are certain trigger foods, so I stay away from those. And I do find that I I don't know. I mean, again, I am my own guinea pig. I think that they do help in terms of my ADHD. Um, exercise makes a Found difference. Um, ex- I started exercising before I was diagnosed, mm-hmm. and I was suddenly like, "Wow! Like, I have like energy, and like my mind yeah. doesn't like wander as much." And, and this like, is true of anybody who, yeah. um, uh, maybe not when you start exercising, it just yeah. feels like torture. But like yes. once you're in a routine of exercising, I do find like I exercise regularly, and when I'm away from it for whatever reason, my body is just misses it, and I yes. miss it, and I miss that like the sort of the energy and mental clarity yeah. sort of gives yes, me. Yes, yeah. yes. The it's, mental clarity is huge. Yeah. And when I when I first started getting that, I was like, why did I, how did it take me this long, you know? Like, I actually so. used the first, when I really 
got into exercising, it was actually because I was using it to manage um, uh, environmental depression. Really? Yeah, uh, because it was I hit a bout of depression when I was in. Um, it was doing a student exchange in Glasgow mm-hmm. in my third year of university. And I don't know what it was about that experience. Some, I was in my early to mid-twenties, so I was quite young. Probably the first time I was ever that far away from home for that long. Yeah. Um, and I found the, the school was unchallenging. I had a hard time sort of getting... Um, finding a friend group because I, it, I just kept inviting myself along to things, trying to make an effort, but nobody would actually invite me to things. So after a while, it's just like, okay, I'm just going to yeah. stop trying because it's exhausting. And then over time, it developed into the type of depression. And I really do think it was depression. It's like I didn't, I would try to make the days go by faster by staying in bed as long as possible on days right. where I didn't have class. Yeah. And it even got to the point of um, suicidal ideation. Oh, God. And it would, and it was sort of manifest like I'd be. There was a really, really busy road that we had to cross to get from where the student residence was to the class where the classes were, the the, the um, campus was. I remember one day I was just like, oh, like, and it, and it also didn't help that it was like just rained constantly, so it was basically like a Charlie Brown cartoon of like a rain cloud over him, like yeah. raining constantly. I remember standing there one day and thinking like, if I just step out into the street right now, I could go home. And it was, it was so momentary, but it was so like, I think I, this is depression. Yeah. And so I started, I'd already been sort of going to the gym casually for years and years and years, but like never anything concentrated. Mm-hmm. So I started to go more and more and I realized like getting my endorphins up was like, oh, I feel so much better. Like I can go, or I could at least level up from feeling like deeply depressed to at least just like neutral. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So I just got addicted to that feeling, yes. and then when I, um, um, and then when I eventually uh, my time in Glasgow ended, and I came home, that mood lifted. So it was very much like something about something about that situation really yeah, triggered it for sure. Um, but I kept up with the exercise because right. I was like, clearly, the, like there's a clear benefit here, yeah. and like I was being motivated by something other than like oh, I got to be healthy, which is yes. for some people really hard. It was like yes. this, I think, is saving my life right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that um, you know, depression, ADHD, like you, I think that people look at it as a thing that has to be fixed or cured, and there's just one thing that you have to do, like one weird trick no, to like yeah. fix depression and that's not how it works no um um, there's like a million different factors and you have to sort of in my opinion if you really are suffering you really have to take it like one thing at a time yeah right because you can't you can't change a million things you couldn't like suddenly leave your you know exchange right yeah do you know what I mean like but you took you took the steps that you could in your situation yeah to help you at least get it, a grasp on and this. it helped that I sort of knew I was like fairly certain I knew what was causing it and then coming home it sort of confirmed my suspicion that like yeah. I don't know exactly what it was about being there but it's just something yeah um and you weren't getting enough sun probably <laughs> maybe um oh and also like the roommates they had me with yeah just, like, I think oh, it was like more yeah. environmental not like as in like what the weather was like but rather like who you were living with who yeah you were dealing with. it was yeah. just like you're it's just like being miserable day in and day yes. out with your situation is going yeah. to affect your brain chemistry of course yeah um and 
And there's a part of me that always fears like, okay, that thing is in me. And I do have a history of mental illness in my mm-hmm. family. Um, uh, I have family members who have clinical anxiety. I have a grandparent who was bipolar, mm-hmm. um, who would, um, he was on medication by the end of his life, but there would be times when he would just randomly stop taking his medication and his right. symptoms would just like come, come back, come back. and it would manifest as mm-hmm. like one day he'd come home and he did a bought a car or something. So right, like, right. so going through that experience, it was like, okay, that thing is in me. And because it was triggered by something, I don't specifically know what, probably a whole host of factors, but like, it's just feeling that like, okay, this thing is always inside me yes. and it could come, it could be, triggered without warning in exactly. any other situation. Yeah. And it's nice knowing that like I have things that I can do immediately to at least start to manage it. That's right. That's that's good. That's yeah. very that's very smart for like early twenties Mallory being like, hey, wait a second. It was mostly like just I think like, I think part of it was power. like just boredom like oh I have no one I have no friends. I have yeah. no like I have school is unchallenging. I have all this like go run on a treadmill for a while. <laughs> it's mostly boredom and I just stumble. I was lucky enough to stumble onto something that worked. Yeah. Yeah. But that's like, it's, that was like a very holistic treatment for yeah. depression. So yeah. Like, I mean, you could or have gone any, on antidepressants, like, yeah. for example. And yeah. like, this, which isn't to say that like, you should just don't bother with antidepressants no, 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 or therapy, no. but yeah. like, it's just, there are a lot of factors that can go into treatment and management. Yes. So, so I, um, I always noticed that meditation, for example, helped me too. So, so for me, again, the, the key things were medication, which helped me clean up my diet and make all these like changes that I'd been trying so hard to make, but couldn't stick to. And like, you know, I just buy like all these groceries and they would just like rot in the fridge over. And I kept making this mistake. It wasn't like a, Oh, occasionally, you know, you let something rot, whatever. Everyone has that. It was like constantly, I couldn't bring things to fruition as easy as, I mean, meal planning is easy. Yes, it requires a lot of work, but like, and consistency, but the task itself is like doable, doable, but like I couldn't do it. And it's like, I'm a grown adult. I can, I should be able to do it. It's not a lack of skill. It's not a lack of knowing what to get. It's just a lack of executing. It was really the act of executing that I had a problem with, which is a, um, uh, something we talked about the last yeah, time we recorded this. Uh, yeah, executive, executive, yeah. Uh, um, uh, the way to fix executive functions, yes. including like you have all of the knowledge, but you're yes. unable to apply that. Knowledge. Exactly. Yeah. And I've, and I've had trouble with that before, even in conversation, even like when we're recording the podcast, anything, I mean, again, everyone has these things, but it's like, I consistently have to like, almost like back off from doing something in order to like gain that knowledge again. Like I never, yeah, it's like constantly trying to do something and being like, I am more knowledgeable than everyone else here. I know it. I've read about it for, for days or months or whatever. And yet suddenly I cannot apply the the actual things I need to do as well as I should be able to yeah. given the knowledge that I have. Yeah. And this is, this is a problem with people with ADHD. Um, and again, like you could, you could apply it as something as simple as meal planning and like getting groceries and make meals and like making really simple meals. Now suddenly I can, mm-hmm. it's like amazing. So medication definitely changed my life and definitely allowed me to eat better and do all these things that, um, have made an impact. And I will say too, like medication, um, a lot of people are really against it because of the side effects. 
Um, and as I said before, like Ritalin made me, caused me to have like anxiety issues and things like that. Um, Stratera on the other hand had a really terrible side effect, which was, um, it, uh, kind of, so I stopped eating sugar. Like I was suddenly like really turned off by sugar. I was also turned off by eating. And I remember remember, this. I lost like 15, 20 pounds. Cause um, you said, you said you would just, you'd be going about your day and you would just like your body would send you the signal that it was time to eat. Exactly. And so I think what it did was it, um, it actually, like once I figured it out, I realized that this was a problem that I had even before I went on medication. And what I was doing before was I was having a very small breakfast. I was then eating a sugary thing to like keep my attention and everything up, which obviously didn't last long. Then I would forget to eat um, lunch. And often people with ADHD, what you do is we just forget to do normal things. So we forget to stop working because we become hyper-focused. And I'll get into hyper-focus in a moment. Um, we just become so absorbed in whatever it is that we're doing for hours and hours and hours. And we ignore like basic body functions like go pee, go eat. Like you got to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I kept doing that. I would have lunch at like 2 PM every single day. And then I would come home and I would eat a big meal and I would like, like obviously be fucking ravenous. Right. Um, and I was doing that for a very long time. And I was also exercising a lot because I had to walk to work and then walk back home. So I was getting a lot of exercise, not getting enough calories. Some of those calories were obviously just sugar calories And then once I went on the medication, it was like, oh, but now I don't want to eat anymore. And that's a very common with Adderall and Ritalin and a lot of these drugs. And part of the reason why people are very, doctors don't want to prescribe them because they're like, oh, is this person trying to lose weight? Mm -hmm. Because that is a real thing. In addition to people wanting to just like abuse them or like to get high or to cram for school or whatever, there are a lot of women who want to just get thin from Adderall. So anyways, um, but once I realized that I was not eating enough, I finally was like, okay, like Tina, you have to sit down. And I had to like map out how many calories I was getting in. And I I think I'm one of the first people to be like, for the first time writing down calories to, so I can eat more rather than eat less. Cause I'd never, I'd never done that before. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it took me a while to sort of figure that out, but now I'm obviously getting better, but yeah. For a few months, I was not eating enough food and my body was not giving me the signals. So it was terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, anyways, um, so what was I saying? So I got sidetracked there. Um, So medication, exercise, um, I meditate. um, I take a bunch of supplements. The supplements that I take are um, magnesium, which is supposed to be good for ADHD, vitamin D3, a lot of people whatever, whatever condition you have, um, or not. Um, a lot of us are low in vitamin D3, especially living in Canada where sunlight isn't as consistent. Mm -hmm. Um, I take, uh, so magnesium, um, I take a B complex, a really good quality B complex. I take, um, I don't take fish oil, but I eat fish every day. So that's my, um, equivalent for that. And I take a probiotic. And, uh, one of the areas of research for, um, uh, functional medicine is how gut health affects, um, your brain. Mm -hmm. And that obviously includes ADHD. And there seems to be a huge connection between the health of your gut and 
how well your brain is operating and if there's any inflammation and things like that. So um, as someone with IBS, that's obviously a huge concern for me. So probiotics are supposed to help reinstate that uh, the good bacteria and get rid of the bad bacteria. Um, as for meditation, I'll quickly say that I remember the first time that I realized that um, it was doing something. I didn't make the connection until years later, but I was in this drama class and we would always start off with this like meditative meditation type thing, mm. first thing. And then we would do all of our drama stuff. And then I would go to math class. So first year of high school, that, that was my schedule. And I can't remember the rest, but it doesn't matter. The point is I would do drama and then I would go to math. And I fucking hated math. And I was always terrible at math. I would always get like 60s, 70s at the very most. And that year I pulled an 80, just an 80%. Mm-hmm. And it was like, like my dad was like so happy. My Iranian father was just like, <laughs> oh my God, finally you made me proud. Genius. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, dad, it's just an 80. But like I'd never gotten an 80 yeah. before. And I never would again. So I failed grade 12 math. But anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what else to say. I sort of run out of. Um, I uh, think we could just talk a little bit about hyperfocus. Oh yes, it's like people. So, it's something that people I don't think are aware of with ADHD. Yeah. So, um, so hyperfocus can be a good and a bad thing. Another term for it is perseveration. So, um, it's kind of similar to people who are who have Aspergers or who who are you know um, have some kind of uh, ASD. So, autism spectrum disorder. Um, uh, in that they have like special interests and they will become really obsessed with their special interests and they will just constantly read about it and read about it and devote lots and lots and lots and lots of times, like way more time than anyone else. Right. Um, ADHD is kind of like that, but unfortunately it's never on something that's useful and it's not usually one thing. So, um, you know, like I might become obsessed with functional medicine and then I'll spend a week reading nothing when I should be working, right? When I should be sleeping or doing something productive and just constantly Googling functional medicine and trying to find out more and more and more and more about it. I will exhaust Mm -hmm. the number of things. That's just one example. Um, People are always like, wow, you really know a lot about this one thing. And I'm like, yep, that was uh, August of 2016 when I was really (laughs) obsessed with such and such topic, Mm -hmm. you know? So um, for me, it's a lot of Googling and reading information. For other people, it's something else. It could be um, well, sitting, getting, yeah, be, getting really, really good at a particular activity, which is yeah. where we get into like the superpower yeah. idea of having ADHD and where these like very talented, famous people who have ADHD, where they become extremely skilled in a specific area to the point yes. where they become famous for it. Yeah. Like it's, they work their ass off yeah. and they're able, and this is again, one of the reasons why it's frustrating for me because I, I think that I'm not going to say, Oh, I could become famous, but I just mean like, I feel like I could succeed if I learn how to channel that yeah. energy, right? Yeah. So, but the thing is, you don't have a choice into like what what you decide yeah. to perseverate on. Yeah. That's the problem. Um, and uh, you know, there's there aren't a lot of bonuses to uh, to having ADHD, and hyperfocus is one of them. So, if you could figure out a way to harness it and to use it for good and to use it productively, then you'll you will do better than so many of your peers. It's an advantage. It's a huge advantage. Um, and I really do think like, you know, I'm wearing a t-shirt right now that says neurodiversity. We've talked about it a little bit before. Um, I, I think that 
someone with this condition, it's really up to them to figure out and to manage their symptoms and to not affect their relationships and their work productivity and all that kind of stuff. And I can say I've done that a lot, especially in the last few years. I've been trying to really hard to work on myself and fix those things. But um, I also think that um, if people become more educated about ADHD and understand how difficult it is, then they can offer some accommodation that will let the ADHD person thrive mm-hmm. and work better. So to me, I'm, I've never been like, you know, because I know, for example, that the people who run the ADHD Reddit are very against neurodiversity because they're like, this is something that you can medicate unlike autism because autism is usually the, the condition that's tied to the neurodiversity movement. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I'm like, it's something that I am. It's something that I manage through various treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, I'm always going to be a little bit weird. And I might not necessarily give the first best impression or something like that, but I have a lot to offer. Mm-hmm. And if people learn how to work with me and like learn to work with how I work, then it, who knows what could happen? Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, most people are very misinformed about ADHD, stigmatize it, think that we're useless, think that we're lazy, um, or over-medicated or over-medicated or think that it doesn't exist Mm -hmm. or think that we're children and therefore no one wants to admit that they have ADHD, especially in the workplace. Mm -hmm. Um, so this kind of thing will never happen unless it only just happens organically. Yeah. Right. And unless you have people who are very open-minded and are willing to work with you because they see something in you that maybe others don't. So that's, that's been my own personal experience as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this is one of the reasons why I think advocacy for mental health awareness is so important because the more we understand how other people work, the more we can be open to just accept, accepting them on their terms and maybe helping to bring out the best in them. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So that's my idealistic, optimistic dream of the future. If Trump doesn't blow up the whole world, that is. Well, then we won't have to worry about anything. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Then we'll all be dead. It'll it'll be okay. So it's fine. It's fine. Great. Yeah. Dark. (laughs) Um, I think maybe a good thing to do is, for anyone who's listening, who's made it this far, if you are interested in learning more... Um, we'll link to a few things mm-hmm. that, you know, if you think you have ADHD, there are checklists and resources um, out there. Um, there's a great channel called How To ADHD made by this woman who has it. And she goes through a lot of topics. We didn't even get to like emotional dysregulation, for example, but yeah, that's yeah. fine. Look up emotional dysregulation on the How to ADHD YouTube channel. channel. Yeah. And also, um, I'll, I'll do a couple of links to Russell Barkley's videos as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, if you're interested in emotional dysregulation, look up rejection sensitive dysphoria because that is something that's very, very common with, uh, with ADHD. So not necessarily, you can have RSD and not ADHD and vice versa, but, um, it seems to be very common. Um, so if you tend to be super, super hypersensitive and never take any criticism, um, you might have it and yeah, and awareness is always good. And, um, if anyone has any questions about any of the things that we talked about today, I'm always available on Twitter to talk about this stuff. I will 
talk, I can talk on and on and on forever about it. So, um, I'm very open to that. Yeah. Cool. Great. <laughs> the end. The uh, end. <laughs>